Hi, everyone. Dr. B here. Again, thank you for joining me for another episode, the first episode of 2024 uh, of Ask the Dentist. Uh, Small bite today. We're going to talk about one ingredient in toothpaste. It's also in your hand soap. It's also in your body wash. It's in your shampoos, conditioner. It's in your house cleaners. And it is also in a lot of other commercial products, mostly used for cleaning and mixing immiscible liquids. And I'm referring to emulsions. You can mix things with surfactants, dry chemicals, and that's not an emulsion. But I don't want to get too technical. But these surfactants and emulsifiers are in your toothpaste and they are there. Let me back up. Immiscible means two ingredients that won't stay mixed together. And you have to add a surfactant to keep them in solution, uh, which is what happens in your tube of toothpaste. And the question is, and I'm going to answer it, is do you want that emulsifier in there to keep your ingredients, your toothpaste ingredients, nicely mixed so that every time you squeeze that toothpaste, it comes out the same? Is that an ingredient that you have to worry about when it comes to uh, the the moment that it is exposed to the oral microbiome? Anyway, these emulsifiers and surfactants, the most common name that you may have heard or abbreviation for it is SLS, sodium lauryl sulfate. It's been there for a long time. It was in our soaps. It is a soap. It breaks down protein and lipid layers, essentially the components of bacteria. It was first being aggressively sold by the snake oils, snake oil salesmen. The stuff would come out of the back of their covered wagons, and most of that stuff had some form of detergent or soap in it. And someone one day thought it would be brilliant to put it into a mouthwash. Back then, there was a lot of decay and a lot of oral disease, and they thought this would be the cure for that. As it turns out, it wasn't. But again, there was no scientific data. They were doing the best they could. So what is a an emulsifier? What is a surfactant? It's a wetting agent. It's capable of reducing surface tension of a liquid, and it has a hydrophilic head and a hydrophobic tail. But that hydrophilic head allows it to mix, and because it's a hydrophobic tail, it can pull two immiscible liquids together. In other words, two liquids that will not mix on their own and stay mixed. I know that's a little complicated, but anyway, Google surfactant or emulsifier, uh, or just Google sodium lauryl sulfate. Now, the toothpaste industry loves this stuff. It makes, it it allows them to mix all sorts of things that they've added to toothpaste, botanicals, essential oils, some have even added pesticides and and, and, and other ingredients. We've, We've talked about that before. But to, and water and glycerin, but to get all these things mixed together, they need that surfactant and that emulsifier. And to make it in large batches so that it doesn't separate in that large vat, they need the emulsifiers and the surfactants because it guarantees that the mix is even and that every tube that's filled on the assembly line is exactly has the same ingredients, the same mixture, the same concentration of ingredients that every other tube has. So again, convenient. It's not that expensive. It was 
naturally derived, mostly a vegetable glycerin source. There are synthetic versions, petroleum versions. There are food-grade versions of this, but none of them really, you know, it's not toxic per se, but it really doesn't address something that now we know about recently, and that is the oral microbiome. What does it do to bacteria in the mouth? Is it aggressive? Does it break down those bacteria? And as I alluded to earlier, it does. Uh, a surfactant, an emulsifier, will break down a lipid layer, which is the outside cell wall of any cell, um, and and or or both proteins, which are inside cells, also in the cell wall. And is that something we want in our toothpaste? It does have a bactericidal activity. It is low on the scale, but it does kill bacteria. It also dries out lipid layers like the oral mucosa. That's the lining of the mouth, the cheeks, the floor of the mouth, the palate, even into the oral pharynx, back of the throat. These are all lipid layers. They're very thin membranes, but they can be dried out. They can be, uh, the word is not burned, but they can be thinned out to the point where they, they ulcerate. In other words, the, the layer gets so thin that you get a sore. You get a canker sore, for example, cold sore, uh, actually a canker sore. Uh, cold sore is typically viral in, in etiology. So no, <laughs> we don't want that. And if you want an oral microbiome, friendly toothpaste. You do not want something that is taking down bacteria. This stuff, surfactants and emulsifiers, actually are used in pesticides, uh, kind of pesticides that you can use at home that are relatively safe. But that tells you how much of an active mechanism they have at killing viruses, bacteria, and even insects, uh, for that matter. Again, something we don't want in our mouth. Do we want soap in our mouth? No. This is not the place to be uh, using detergents and breaking down the outside of cells. We want to nourish and feed and allow the mi oral microbiome to do its job. So let me go over a few things here. Back to that pesticide point. It's the term is it is considered to be sodium lauryl sulfate or other similar surfactants is considered to be a minimum risk pesticide. Okay, so you're spraying it on your plant. It's minimum risk. Maybe if you inhale it or if it touches your skin, imagine spraying it in your mouth. <laughs> and again, a lot of toothpaste companies want that before the information. Uh, noted by the discovery of the oral microbiome, this is something that toothpaste companies were actively doing. They were trying to gently, quote-unquote gently, take down bugs in the mouth. They were trying to disinfect the mouth. They were also using alcohol. They were using stronger pesticides. Uh, they were using propylene glycol. Uh, so many different ingredients. Again, this is all on our website. We have blog posts discussing what are all these ingredients and why, why they should not be there. So minimum risk pesticide. Oh my God. Anyway, so again, surfactants, emulsifiers, they break apart lipid layers, cell walls, and protein. They have antimicrobial activity and energy. They actually work better with other ingredients, but there's a synergy between the two. But alone, they are inherently antibacterial. Bactericidal is the term. They actually will slowly reduce the population of any bacterium. It's, it's indiscriminate. The textile industry uses these surfactants. They, they clean their fabrics before dying. So they have to make sure that before they 
they apply a dye or a color to their textile, uh, to the cloth, it has to be completely free of any fats, lipids, any oils. Otherwise, the dye will not be fast. Uh, uh, it will it will look uneven. Again, pretty powerful stuff. Again, I said I mentioned household cleaners. There are a lot of very strong household cleaners. There are some biodegradable, safer, better for the planet, household cleaners, and all of these have some form of surfactant. By the way, if you're going to use soap, which I don't like having surfactants in my soap, use Dr. Bronner's soap. That is an emollient. And I've talked about that before. I'm not going to go into that. But if you're, if you see that something is the mechanism of action is using emollients, that is much better and it works. But a surfactant, an emulsifier, it's too strong, it's too harsh, even for your skin, especially for the skin inside your mouth. You know what? Try this. Uh, I did a video on, and it's on YouTube. I will try and find the link for it. It was a long time ago, maybe eight, nine years ago. I one day th thought it would be interesting to wash my hands with Crest and Colgate and a few of the big brands. Who knows why I thought of that? That's just the the nerdy dentist in me. And, and I thought, you know, it's hard to know what's going on in your mouth, but we're so cognizant of whether a soap works on our skin or a moisturizer. moisturizer. Why not use these toothpastes and, and scrub you know, wash my hands with it. I was shocked as to what the result was. My hands felt very strange, very dry, cakey, uh, uh, very rough abrasive surface for at least a half hour. And of course, I made a mess in the sink. It was difficult to get rid of all that material in the sink. I had to scrub the sink down and get it down in into the drain. So take a look at that. That should make you wonder, is that something you want in your mouth? So here's, here's the, the, the issue. Uh, again, halfway through my career, maybe 15 years ago, there was a toothpaste company, it was Sensodyne. Not one of my favorite toothpastes, but at the time it was all we had to help patients with sensitive teeth. Uh, it had uh, pyrophosphates in it. It was a temporary occluding of the tubules. That's the porous surface of the exposed root. And, and it did work somewhat. And that toothpaste manufacturer took out their surfactants, sodium lauryl sulfate, because at the time, studies were coming out demonstrating that people that were using sodium lauryl, sodium lauryl sulfate or surfactants emulsifiers, uh, that's just one example of what I'm talking about, they were more prone to uh, sores in their mouth, canker sores. And again, the studies now have fleshed all this out, and we understand now why this is. And, and so now there are a lot of toothpaste that have followed suit. Very strange, though, with uh, the Sensodyne is that they had a whitening formula of their desensitization toothpaste, and they added back the sodium lauryl sulfate. So it's hard for these toothpaste companies uh, to take this out, even if they're using it as a marketing uh, point in their marketing of the, in selling their toothpaste. I, I just found that very interesting. The good news now is that these studies have been around for a long time, and there are emulsifier and surfactant-free toothpaste available in the market. Not many, 
maybe less than 1%. But the point is, is that they are available. Uh, they weren't available as of 10 years ago. I, it was just impossible to find. Um, in fact, when one of my patients had sores in the mouth, canker sores, the first thing I would say, and I would have to explain it to them, I would, I would tell them, stop using toothpaste and mouthwash for the next six weeks. Dry brush, use water, use salt water, you know, use baking soda, but dry brushing was fine, floss a lot, and you'll see that those sores will go away. These sores can, can happen even at the back of your throat, the palate, but typically it's on the oral mucosa, that's where we get on the cheeks and the floor of the mouth, that's where we get these, that, that thinning of that very one, that thin, one cell thick layer, just like the gut lining, this is the beginning of the gut lining, essentially. It is very, very fragile, and it can be thinned to the point where it ulcerates. In other words, it's an open sore, and it's painful, and it takes a long time to heal, about two weeks. Very, very inconvenient. If you've had an ulceration or a canker sore, you know what I'm talking about. In my practice, I have measured and treated sleep issues for thousands of patients, and one of my easy and immediate recommendations for every one of these patients is to start taking a magnesium supplement. It is well understood that magnesium improves the chances of deeper and more restorative sleep. For me personally and for my family, Magnesium Breakthrough has helped me achieve better scores for deep and REM sleep. Magnesium Breakthrough has been a game changer for my wife and I, many family members. It literally possesses a hallowed spot in our vitamin and supplement drawer. At family get-togethers, we remind each other, do you have enough? Did you bring your mag breakthrough? Uh, no exaggeration. Most magnesium supplements contain one to two forms of magnesium. Magnesium breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium, like nature intended. Not including all forms makes no sense when efficacy is the desired result. Not surprisingly, in today's world, 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. And unfortunately, eating well can't solve this deficiency given today's farming practices. That's why getting all seven forms of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement. Magnesium Breakthrough helps you sleep better. It also helps calm your mind and allows you to feel grounded and relaxed during the day, and especially before bed, preparing you for a good night's sleep. Getting the correct amount and versions of magnesium, as found in Magnesium Breakthrough, also helps improve digestion, supports muscle recovery, and supports healthy bone density and even tooth remineralization. So make sure you are not only taking magnesium, Make sure you are getting all forms of magnesium, which ultimately is what our bodies need to function optimally. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash askthedentist. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com slash askthedentist and use promo code askthedentist, all one word, during checkout to save 10%. Restorative sleep is perhaps the most important factor in living a life well-lived. Don't let the quality of your magnesium supplement be anything less than the best it can be. So good news is that we, we have emulsifier and surfactant-free toothpaste. There are not many. I'm going to mention two brands. That's all I can think of. And my dream, actually for a long time, was to, if I were to create a toothpaste, it would 
the first thing on the list was emulsifier and surfactant-free. I didn't want to see any of that in there. Yes, it would be difficult to make a toothpaste that mixed well, but I didn't care. In fact, if I had to mix it by hand every day before before use, twice daily, I would be willing to do that. Uh, A lot of our DIY recipes, of course, of toothpaste, we have two or three, which have been wildly popular. People get it. They know that manufactured toothpaste is not a good product. They've had to make it on their own. It is... It takes a lot of time. You can only make it in small batches because toothpaste will spoil, uh, especially in a tube, in a dark place, no oxygen. And and they've made great toothpaste. And, and I've done that several times. And that's kind of what got me, got me to realize that a surfactant emulsifier-free toothpaste is an absolute delight. The feel in the mouth, the uh, after you spit it out, how quickly your mouth returns back to normal, how how slippery and moist it feels. There's no drying action. It, it's a it's a wonderful feel. And most people that try a surfactant or emulsifier-free toothpaste, they get it right away. Again, it's like washing your hands with a regular toothpaste. Try washing your hands with a very with a DIY toothpaste or an emulsifier surfactant-free toothpaste. You will notice the difference. Do it back to back. You'll see the difference. One is like a hand moisturizer. The other one is just a very strong caustic soap that dries out your skin. Soap, detergents. One other point I want to I want to leave you with is that a lot of toothpaste manufacturers have gotten wind of this. The customer obviously is driving a lot of these sales, thank goodness. And that's why I'm here to guide you so that you can redirect the industry by buying the right toothpaste and the right products. They are adding derivatives of sodium lauryl sulfate. Again, sodium lauryl sulfate was the SLS, was the first most common surfactant in toothpaste. And that was the um, the, the the ingredient that was being studied 10, 15 years ago. And, and it was decided then and demonstrated that that was not good for the mouth. And again, there was no mention of the oral microbiome back then because we really didn't know about it. And it does have an effect in the oral microbiome. It is bactericidal. So if you want to leave your oral microbiome alone and let it do what it's supposed to do by feeding it properly and nourishing it, you do not want to introduce a surfactant or SLS into the mouth. But back to what I was saying, there are derivatives now. Companies are coming up. They're renaming, much like BPA. When BPA was discovered to be bad, they come up with these BPA replacements, derivatives, whatever you want to call it. And it's a new long name that nobody can even pronounce. And they have the same endocrine disruption effect that BPA does, but at least it's off the list and no one is uh, is labeling them as having dangerous ingredients in it, at least for the time being. And then they move to another one. So the toothpaste industry has done that. And I'm going to include in the show notes a long list of these derivatives. I think there are about 40 different names. The ones that you'll see most commonly are sodium lauroyl, lauroyl sarcosinate, it's still SLS, the abbreviation, but it's slightly different. And maybe it's derived from coconuts, so it has a more of a natural derivation. But it still has the same mechanism of breaking down lipids and protein layers. Uh, so I don't care if it's from a natural source or if it's from a synthetic source. It still has the same mechanism, and, and that is not good for your oral microbiome. It still acts the same. It still has that same effect. Whether it's safer or not in terms of where it's made from, irrelevant. So anyway, look for those and look at the uh, check out the link that I'm going to include 
on all these these new names for surfactants and emulsifiers. One of the best things you can do for oral health is to find a toothpaste and use a toothpaste that is emulsifier and surfactant-free. I mentioned earlier that I was going to name two brands. One is Primal Organics, and one is the toothpaste that my business partner and I, Dr. Stacy and I, and my daughter Catherine came out with recently, and that is Fig. So those are the and those are um, the only two brands that I know of. I, I checked out all the competitors. We've we've tested all the competitors, and and sometimes we had to dig deep, like what is that ingredient? And then we discovered via PubMed or whatever, you know, through investigation and more study and 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 asking cariologists and organic chemists, what is that ingredient and what is its purpose? And when we hear it is a surfactant or emulsifier, we understand why it's there. So so what does that mean for toothpaste that does not have a surfactant or emulsifier in it? A, it's better for you. It's kinder to the oral microbiome. It is safer for your children. It's going to predispose you less to canker sores. It's going to taste better. It's going to have a, a after use a better after use feel. When you spit it out, I wouldn't rinse out. I would spit it out. Let the active ingredients in that toothpaste work well for you. Uh, that lingering effect of whatever the remineralization agent is. Hopefully, it's not fluoride. It should be hydroxyapatite. It's going to feel great. It's it's like using a moisturizer in your mouth, and you've left your oral microbiome alone. And again, it's your oral microbiome that determines whether you have good oral health or poor oral health. And you do not want it to be dysbiotic. You do not want it to be always challenged by alcohol, pesticides, soaps, detergents, emulsifiers, surfactants, all these things that are in our oral care products and have been for a long time. So the industry is changing. It's changing mostly because you are learning that this is something you don't want and that you and that you are spending money elsewhere. But it's the the change, the information that I'm sharing with you and that other professionals now are reading in the dental profession is the is the knowledge and the discovery of the oral microbiome. Again, it's much like the gut microbiome. There are a lot of things that you can swallow, some oral care products that you can swallow that will affect the gut microbiome, like surfactants and emulsifiers. But there are a lot of things that you ingest that will have this effect on the gut microbiome as well. There are a lot of food ingredients that I would classify, in, and we won't talk about that in this episode, but that kind of have the same effect. So again, most of you know this. You are searching for this information, and now you have some alternatives. So find a toothpaste that does not have an emulsifier or surfactant in it. I think you will notice the difference right away, and you will feel better about your mouth, and you'll have better oral health. You'll have a better chance of having good oral health. Of course, it's multifactorial. You have to feed the oral microbiome. You have to be eating well. Toothpaste is not a magic bullet or a magic pill, for that matter, but it shouldn't be viewed or taken as the magic pill or magic bullet in fixing all the other issues that we've created by eating poorly, our environment, poor oral care products, it doesn't actually fix that. I hope that makes sense to you. So instead of instead of taking down the oral microbiome in hopes that that will 
disinfect the mouth. That's old world thinking. It is false. It is wrong. Uh, there are a lot of other ingredients in toothpaste. Nano silver. You're going to see a lot of nano silver showing up and colloidal silver. One of the toothpastes I just mentioned that was emulsifier surfactant free has colloidal silver in it. And uh, the jury is out on that. Yes, it is very effective at taking down some bacteria and, and in a very selective way in some, some areas. But it is still silver, and if it's ingested or if it gets incorporated into any tissues in the mouth, and a lot of these particles are sold in the nano form, yes, they're plant-based, or actually plant-based is a little misleading. They're synthesized by plants. It's still a nano silver, very small particle that is not visible to the human eye. And those particles get lodged in tissues throughout the body. They can cross the blood-brain barrier. Do we want silver in these parts of the body? To... And, and and only for to disinfect the mouth. Absolutely not. For me right now, the best toothpaste is not actively trying to do something in the mouth and take it down. It's providing support, maybe a little relief. Depends on you know where you're coming from, at what state of oral health you're in. But mostly support and nourishment so that the mouth, the oral microbiome can do its job. Anyway, look for a toothpaste without surfactants and emulsifiers. If you have any questions about that, or if you are wondering if your toothpaste is free of a surfactant or emulsifier, you don't recognize it, it's not on the list that I provided for you in that link uh, in the show notes, uh, reach out to me. Um, they, they, these new names keep popping up. And uh, and the other question is, is what is how much do they have to put in there? How much are you exposing yourself to? And is this something that you are extra sensitive to? There are a lot of people that are very sensitive to emulsifiers and surfactants. Uh, again, you don't need them. And my last point is, is that, for example, if you use, um, I should have brought a tube with me, I'm near the end of it, uh, of fig toothpaste. Sometimes, and what I do now automatically is I just massage the tube a little bit. I am the emulsifier and the surfactant. It's not in the tube. It's not always necessary. It depends on ambient temperature and where you live and how, you, how you've used the tube, how you store it. You can store it. It has a flat cap. You can store it on its head so that the material, the, the uh, toothpaste is always at the nozzle. And sometimes I'll, at the very end, I'll take my toothbrush handle and I will kind of rub the end of the tube and get it all to the front of the tube. Is that something that you aren't interested in doing? I'm sorry. You will have to use a conventional toothpaste and you will have to suffer the consequences of being exposing your oral microbiome to emulsifiers and surfactants. I hope I have made my point. Um, and again, if you have any questions, if you're not sure whether you have a surfactant or emulsifier in your toothpaste, let me know. I'll try and answer that question for you. The new ones keep popping up. And and if you want to really make sure, wash your hands with your toothpaste. You'll 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 feel it. You'll notice it on your skin. It's a little little more difficult to notice in the mouth. Again, thanks for listening. If you're looking for a functional dentist that that thinks like I do and and would agree with you and and maybe isn't giving you free samples of crest when you go go to the dentist uh, to the dental office or is pushing fluoride on you in the varnishes that they give to your kids twice yearly we just did an episode on that a few uh, late last year then you really should be looking for a different dentist someone who is aware of the issues and problems that come up from the use of surfactants and emulsifiers and toothpaste. So go to our directory, ask the dentist 
com slash directory, and you'll be able to talk to someone that has this knowledge and will help you navigate this pretty complicated uh, world of oral care products. And again, we're trying to simplify it for you. And that's essentially what FIG, this new brand of toothpaste that, that was just launched, is all about. We're trying to simplify the ingredient list. The ingredients are in large lettering, large enough where I can read them without glasses, I was the the test dummy on that. And it's really addressing the new paradigm of oral health. And that is that there's a living organism in your mouth and you've got to treat it with respect if you don't want to have cavities, gum disease, bad breath, et cetera, et cetera, or even systemic issues from bad oral health. I think I have hammered this point home uh, and I'm going to stop here. But anyway, thanks again uh, for listening. And uh, we will be talking about a lot of things this year. One thing I'd like to ask you, if there's anyone out there that you'd like me to interview, please send me some names. Uh, uh, we're a big enough podcast now where people are asking to be on this podcast. We've had some big names like Dr. Perlmutter. We, I'd like to know more about where you want me to go with who we should interview. Um, and that I, I have some ideas, but I'd rather hear from you first before I make any phone calls or, or emails. Again, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to Ask the Dentist. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Mike Fry. Drop me a line at mark at askthedentist.com. If you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening and especially for taking an interest in oral health. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.